0: (laughs) Yep, I'm currently director of uh, Anorexia Bulimia Care, ABC for short, for obvious reasons. Um, We're a Christian organization that's been um, in operation for 22 years, which is pretty impressive, isn't it? And it's just wonderful to see you all here filling this uh, cafe, which is quite ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Um, And for coming to this day because there is breakthrough in the whole area of mental health and uh, eating disorders and related self-harm, depression, all the trigger factors that you're going to uh, hear about later on. Um, I'm here actually with a a, a number of hats. um, I have a background in education. I'm a former teacher and a head teacher and a university lecturer. Um, And I still get to do some university lecturing at the moment, which is fab. Uh, So I'm part-time lecturing um, in uh, Bath University on adolescence and coping strategies. Um, and I found myself in the pharmacology department at the moment. I'm a sort of roving lecturer. I'll go whichever department wants me. <laughs> so I'm usually found in education, uh, sometimes in psychology, and at the moment I'm in pharmacology, which is fantastic because we're training uh, would-be pharmacists to understand what happens to people and their people in people's lives so that they can not only um, approach the general public better but they can spot signs of of what's happening in their lives. You know, somebody coming along and buying laxatives, you know, week in, week out, what do they do? Um, And also how to medicate. So obviously, you know, medication, appropriate medication. Um, And we're tutoring a group of uh, research students at the moment who are looking at early onset and early intervention into eating disorders. So um, there we are. My other hat, uh, apart from um, my directorship of ABC, is my mum hat because I joined ABC and worked with Kate in 2004 um, because before that time we were a happy, average, normal Christian family who we have, I have three daughters and oh, nothing was, uh, had happened in our lives at all. Um, we were happily at church and happily eating and my middle daughter was 11 at the time and she was going up to uh, secondary school from junior school and was uh, complaining of being picked on she had a bit of an undisclosed learning difficulty as well which meant that she found processing information rather difficult Um, and in her in her confusion and in her stress she cut down uh, hugely on her food and of course as a mom and as a teacher I knew and could see the signs what, was actually una- what I was unable to do was to help her um, actually overcome this and to get her to eat properly again. So within this, the short summer holidays, eight weeks as it was, she uh, lost a third of her body weight. She was down to about four and a half stone. She'd started off at an absolute perfect six stone two. And week by week, uh, we were seeing this weight loss, being absolutely unable to reverse it. Um, I can tell you that it is... Uh, impossible to force feed somebody because I've tried it and what happens is that you get spat at with yogurt and food and whatever and everyone's crying by then. So you can imagine my younger daughter was completely traumatized by this. She was seven at the time poor poor little Liv Uh, she's now 16 and doing her GCSEs and my daughter Harriet who went through this terrible time where after this eight or during this eight weeks she had two hospital admissions one for dehydration uh, because some wise doctor had told her that the body puts on weight naturally all through the, do- the day and that even water weighs something. And so to her small mind, <laughs> it wasn't his fault, but to her small mind she thought, well, I want to disappear, actually. That's the most heartbreaking thing for any mum to hear, isn't it? You know, That their daughter wants to disappear, so unhappy. And of course, as the eating disorder, the anorexia nervosa, as it was, gripped her more and more, her mind, she became more unstable. Uh, spiritually, as well as psychologically and physically, obviously. So she ended up then uh, tube-fed continuously for two weeks in, on a general hospital ward for children. Um, and uh, that was a very traumatic time. And my little daughter was saying, she stuck to me like glue, um, and was saying, Mummy, will Harriet die? Um, and I said, No, of course not, darling, of course not. But actually, I didn't know whether that was true. Um, And I clung to God, and my journey became really very strong with him. Um, And I came to a point where, um, because in our county they had no provision for somebody as young as 11, so although my daughter was safe, if you like, in hospital and being tube-fed, that was just really only a holding operation. Um, And they needed to find somewhere for her to go as an inpatient. (laughs) And sadly, there wasn't anywhere that dealt with somebody as young as 11 in our county. So there was a lot of battling going on um, and a lot of worry and a lot of, isn't our Christian walk so much about wait, you know, waiting for God. And sometimes that wait seems an eternity. Um, And when you're faced with uh, the death of your most precious uh, child, um, and I had consultants saying, I don't think she's going to get well. So it was heartbreaking as a mother. Um, And I had to also learn to say to God, well, um, I believe you. I trust that you want only the good for her but I also have to, I came to a point where I had to say, I also trust you with her death, if that's in your choosing. (laughs) Um, I won't spend too long on this story, because it's complicated, (laughs) but um, my 13-year-old daughter at the time had um, a very sensitive disposition, um, but also had OCD. And as you know, that's an emotional anxiety problem. Um, The trauma of seeing her younger sister in hospital and all that that went on, uh, meant that, for some bizarre reason, she found that her appetite, while well all of our appetites had gone a bit um, was 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 um, something that was troubling her and Although we looked to her pretty quickly to see how we could re- restore her weight, and we did so in for about a year, um, her weight started to drop um, we did very well for a year. But then a set of circumstances occurred, which I won't go into, not because I'm shy, but just because it would be too long (laughs) to take out of the talk. Um, And two years later, exactly in the same summer, two years later, my older daughter was on exactly the same hospital ward um, in a a room um, and was there actually for six weeks. She went in with an emergency heart condition because her heart had got down to um, half of what it should be. Um, And again, she was threatened with imminent tube feeding. The hospital did try to um, help restore her weight, but sadly only got her one day out of the whole six weeks out of medical emergency. So you can imagine, talking about hearts, we were in agony and heartbroken that we could have another daughter um, in the same situation um, and not knowing how she might recover Eventually, she went by emergency ambulance all the way to London to a a specialist eating disorder unit, the same one that her younger sister had been to, um, and was there for five months um, instead of three months. My older daughter also self-harmed in hospital, cooped up on a hospital bed with um, nursing staff who actually, um, you know, um, I forgive them, (laughs) but didn't really see her. They saw the illness, and someone... Self inflicting pain and misery and wasting uh, NHS hospital space, um, really in a nutshell. Um, so I think her self harming came uh, as a result of her feeling worthless and having a mixture of emotions that j- she just couldn't deal with. So there you are, that's my mum hat on as well. And uh, we do have a parent ministry within care for the family, uh, within um, eating uh, anorexia and bulimia care, sorry, ABC, along with care for the family. Um, who we've partnered with to provide a befriending service for parents. Um, And, you know, eating disorders, um, Kate will agree with me, just affects the whole family. It doesn't just affect the person who's struggling. It affects everybody. Um, uh, And even dads, too. You know, we have a a lot of single dads who get in touch with us at ABC. So briefly, let me tell you what ABC does, and then we'll move on to the, the slide show. Um, And I've got a short DVD for you, which I think will help to get you um, into the mindset of somebody um, who is struggling with with an eating disorder. As I say, ABC is 22 years old this year. Uh, We run uh, national advice lines for anyone who's struggling with an eating disorder, uh, but also for parents and family members, anyone who cares about anybody, who is worried about anybody. So we'll hear from teachers, uh, we'll hear from... um, uh, godmothers, we'll hear from uh, counselors, we'll hear from youth leaders, Hooray! hopefully, more and more, please. You know, We're here to resource you. So we would, we would love to be able to help you. Um, all concerned about somebody. And we also run email helplines, which is very useful for sufferers who are struggling. Our uh, sufferers are not just in the teenage band, although um, you'll know that adolescence is a particularly difficult time, and that's probably why we have so many sufferers who first come to attention then. But we also have people who um, develop an eating disorder in later life, men as well as women, Um, or also who have had an eating disorder maybe a few decades back who didn't get the help and the care and the support that they needed, um, and have gone through to be what we hate to call, but we do, longer-term sufferers. Um, our oldest sufferer member is in her 70s. And our youngest uh, member, who, not a member, but we've been concerned about, is someone who was uh, four or five years old. Now, I actually, the you know I know you, you, you grimace at that quite rightly, but those are rare because uh, eating disorders are defined really as anorexia, bulimia, anorexia, bulimia, and eating disorders not otherwise recognized. There are only three main types of eating disorders. But actually, the diagnostic criteria is going to be widened shortly um, to probably include anxiety disorders. And um, a lot of young children tend to have more anxiety disorders that can quickly become um, symptoms of anorexia nervosa. But food phobia or food avoidance emotional disorder is is often at the start, really, and leads into um, anorexia nervosa. So we mustn't forget people who um, have high anxiety or have reason to become very anxious and then actually can't eat for some reason. And they fall within our remit, remit as an organization. Uh, So what else do we do? We have a befriending service for uh, people who um, are struggling with an eating disorder themselves. So people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s are befriended by someone who has been there already but has gone through to recovery, and that's a fantastic service. We support about 100 people at any given time. We have 45 volunteer um, members of of our staff, and we we just couldn't operate without our volunteers uh, because we're a small organization that rather punches above its weight. So um, if anybody feels led to uh, offer their support, we, we could really do with it. And it's just lovely to think that, you know, you will be going back to your churches and your places uh, of work and spreading the word a little bit in your area about ABC and what people, you know, can expect the support and the help that they can get from us. So uh, we also work closely in a partnership with lots of other organizations. For instance, we've... Um, develop some guidelines for gym managers, because you can imagine that, uh, you know, it is a problem. People over-exercising and being very underweight threaten, you know, their heart. What happens if they collapse on a running machine? You know, poor gym manager said, oh, yeah, I don't know, we don't know what to do. What should we do morally? What should we do legally? So we've worked with them, um, uh, the whole fitness industry, to um, develop these guidelines Uh, As I say, we work with care for the family, we work with mind and soul, which is absolutely brilliant. (laughs) Um, And and as I say, real breakthrough. So, enough of that, I shall step aside and uh, we'll have a, uh, forgive me, some of you probably know quite a lot about this already, but it's really hard, isn't it, to judge the the level of knowledge. So, you know, uh, if I see you nodding asleep, then I'll put the the DVD on. Uh, I might also think that I can whiz through a bit faster, you probably know quite a lot about this, so... Thanks to Kate. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Okay. Very, very quickly. There's such a lot of uh, stigma uh, still. Miss. Misconceptions and perceptions about what eating disorders are. I can't tell you how many times Kate and I have been at conferences and had people coming up and patting their stomach and saying that they have an eating disorder or uh, they, that their wife has an eating disorder because she can't eat gluten. You know, and we think, oh, no, that's not actually an eating disorder. That. But uh, there we go. So I- it's not just that, of course. It's really about the, the, these illnesses um, being perceived as uh, self inflicted. Um, Also, someone, as you can see, who perhaps is is very controlled. Or people will say to me, oh, it's all about control. Well, actually, eating disorders is a lot about control. Um, For for some people, uh, eating and food is the only thing that they feel they have any control over in their lives. Um, and it's not surprising that somebody could therefore be tempted to r- restrict their eating and undereat over a long period of time, or indeed to overeat and to go to the larder. I mean, I think if we, you know, took a cross cross sort of reference of us all, there will be times when, you know, stress or unhappiness, bereavement, affects us all, and we might think, "I just can't eat. I, I can't eat my meal." I had a friend whose husband left her on um, Christmas. Eve, actually, they were watching the television, and he said, it's over. And she said, no, it's not. There's a second part on Boxing Day. And he said, no, I meant our relationship, our marriage, it's over. Um, And then was surprised that she couldn't eat her Christmas dinner (laughs) the next day. Um, Equally, there are those of us who think, you know, we'll find comfort and solace in the larder. So um, this this sort of self-inflicted part, this ability... um, or, uh, or, uh, you know, to to exert this great willpower and to be able to snap out of it. I think this is one of the big misconceptions, that, you know, why can't somebody just... You know, the the, the solution is obvious. If you have anorexia, there's food on the table. As a Christian, I I found um, my daughter not being able to eat um, what was actually in abundance in our country um, and on my table really difficult to deal with because of the, you know, the the, the starvation across the world. I found it really hard But it is true that someone isn't able to snap out of it. And however hard we find that, we just have to believe it. Um, You know, again, self-infected slimming disease, teenagers, and they all come from obviously very difficult family lives, you know, troubled teenagers. And that's not true either. being very vain and body conscious. It's not about vanity. And I think one of the biggest things we need to clear up is that, yes, the media does play a part in all this, but it, it isn't what is responsible for eating disorders. Children are not trying to look like models, although, again, the culture in which we live does have a very big role to play. They're trying to feel better. They're not trying to look better. They're trying to feel better. Um, they're not stupid. You know, I, 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 was, t- I was told, you know, well, uh, do you not know how to feed your child? Well, yes, I do. The trouble is she doesn't want to do it and I can't seem to make her. Yes, um, I know every food plan there is. I'm a teacher, actually, and um, I'm not ill-educated. Really well, <laughs> debatable. Um, so the next slide will show us just a few more of those. Just, you know, again, um, so many people, unfortunately, uh, in church... Uh, get labelled, you know, um, being selfish. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, um, and therefore, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, so snap out of it. It's very damaging, isn't it, to somebody who's really struggling with a lot of issues and getting into this. Attention-seeking. Well, unfortunately, when you see somebody becoming very, very thin, you can't avoid knowing that there's something wrong with them. Nobody should be losing vast amounts of weight, or repeated weight over a given time without danger signs being flagged up, should they? I'm sure you know people who have cancer or other (coughs) really traumatic illnesses where weight loss is significant, and you know that therefore they're ill because they're losing weight. Um, No child should be losing weight. Children are still growing until they're 16, um, and and that's a really important point. If you see somebody, a child or young person losing weight, then something's wrong, and they need some medical help. We've talked about allergies, uh, celiac and things like that. Um, Attention-seeking and manipulative, well, um, there, is a, there is a manipulative aspect to an eating disorder because the person with the eating disorder doesn't want it taken away from them. It's their <coughs> coping strategy. So in many ways, perhaps they might be, um, avoid you know, uh, um, your detection or they may be saying that they're fine or they're pretending that they've eaten when they haven't. Um, All that you might, one might think is manipulative. I I don't see it like that. It's the way that the illness actually forces someone to behave. Um, And we have to look behind that. Okay. Let's have a little look now. Thanks, Kate. (laughs) At what eating disorders are all about. Well, they're classed as psychological illnesses, first of all, or conditions. Some people say uh, have trouble with the word illness because you can't catch it. But then you can't catch cancer, can you? So... I think illness is fine. They affect the mind, the body, and obviously the spirit. The NICE Guidelines for Eating Disorders were published in 2004, and they tell us clearly that they're complex conditions, uh, ambivalent, they're contradictory. They're ambivalent because the person at at, at best wants to get better a little bit, or even a lot, you know, to begin with. They don't want to get better at all, thank you. This is the way they're coping, and they want to hang on to this. Um, But... um, there is an ambivalence that they want to f- eventually be free of this. They don't want to be controlled by ever thinking about food and how to avoid it or how to get more to binge on it or, or whatever, or how to avoid detection of going and being sick. Um, there are short-term problems that cause a lot of extra... short-term solutions, rather, sorry, that cause a, l- a lot of other problems, physical problems as well as, as mental problems. And they are life-threatening. And I think this is, again, something really important, that in the early stages of anorexia nervosa, you might not um, think that these are life-threatening, but you know, as my own story demonstrated to you, the longer uh, weight loss goes on, um, then the heart just can't take the strain of being at a low BMI, body mass index you've probably all heard of. Um, and, of course, the mind... It becomes really very dark and deeply disturbed. People with anorexia nervosa are 20 times more likely to commit suicide uh, than anybody else in the population. And that's on a par with schizophrenia. So you will all have seen in the newspapers people who do die from it about very roughly about a third of people um, with eating disorders will recover and recover quite quickly actually the second third go on to linger with it and it's really difficult and hard and the last third uh, really struggle uh, long term and within that last third uh, statistics vary but at least five percent if not twenty percent will actually lose their life so it really is a horrible horrible illness thank you Kate we go on to the next one these are the diagnostic criteria and you can look these up or come to us on our website and you'll be able to get these so we don't you don't need to take them all down I suppose but know that we can get them to you (coughs) so anyone showing signs of weight loss of 15% of more or more of normal body weight with all these behavioral uh, signs as well avoiding food avoiding going out making excuses uh, absolute terror of weight gain not the normal sort of fear of weight gain that you know if any of you've ever been on a diet I hold my hand up I've been on a diet after I had my babies I had I was on a diet you know and it was like oh blow you know, I have put 2 pounds on and I really thought that I might have lost 2 pounds this week well you know hey ho there's always next week that's not the case with this it's absolute terror of even thinking about putting on the slightest amount of weight and again that's not about vanity that's about wanting to stay shrunken and disappearing not to be appearing and getting bigger. Um, And there's always this thought amongst sufferers that if they do uh, eat ever so little, that will actually put on three stone. uh, There's a sort of reality check that's kind of missing. It's very odd for people who are very intelligent. um, And this is something that affects intelligent uh, people. and it's very much a Western thing. It's interesting, when, I, when I'm at the university, when I first gave my ta- first talk I did on adolescence and coping strategies, I was talking about it being you know a cultural, a cultural thing here in, in the West. Um, and it was just as well I'd said that, because a lot of my students, a lot of my Asian and African students, had no idea about this at all. It just doesn't feature in, in their culture. Um, periods going for girls, obviously, not boys. And that's why perhaps it's slower to detect in a boy because a GP will look at a strapping lad who's having a growth spurt, he's got a bit thin, putting, you know, looking fit um, and say, oh, isn't mum fussing? You know, you're fine, there's nothing wrong. And mum's saying, well, actually, that's not true because he's avoiding food and he's depressed and he's in his room and um, he's on his bike all the time, you know. So... Next, thank you, next. Bulimia nervosa. Um, most people with bulimia nervosa are hard to detect, actually, because they stay at around normal weight. So this is so hard. You know, we, we, we break our heart at ABC. We have people ringing, don't we, Kate, who, you know, who, who say to us, this is the first time I've ever spoken of this. I'm so ashamed um, of what I do. Um, and I haven't spoken to anybody for ten years about this problem. Ten years. Um, I mean, we had a you know, three-year period where we were, we've gone to hell and back with our family. Um, three years is a huge long time, day in, day in, day out, when you're really worried and you have all this sort of hospitals and therapists and all this thing. You know, our world was turned completely upside down. But to live ten years with a secret and managing your life, I think, is awful. Uh, and if only people would pluck up the courage to, to talk and to talk to the right people, right people armed with the right response, like you're going to be. Um, you know, that's, that's a really good, brave first step. And it's the first step, isn't it, Kate, on the road to recovery. So you, you probably understand what bulimia nervosa is. We have a lot of people, though, who ring our helplines. I speak to about a 1,000 parents um, personally a year who often say, my daughter or my son has bulimia. And they go on in the conversation. They talk about the, the self-induced vomiting. And then they tell me that there's oodles of weight loss. Well, actually, that is a purging form of anorexia nervosa, not bulimia nervosa. So if someone is is losing weight, then it's not bulimia. It'll be purging anorexia. The bulimia nervosa, you won't see weight loss. You'll see the other ones. Other fasting or... Um, purging techniques such as laxative abuse diuretics um, slimming pills persistent over concern with their shape and weight um, which might they might keep secret but this terrible guilt and health problems digestive problems again it puts a strain on the heart swollen salivary glands we often say you know if if you can tell your teenage daughter or son that actually making themselves sick which doesn't do any good it doesn't actually prevent weight gain so it's a really rubbish method of dieting and we say to teenagers if you know if if you realize that your salivary glands here just here visibly by your ears will swell um i'm wondering whether that was quite a good (laughs) good move and we might have stopped some people starting before it got a grip Right, Kate, I think we might just look at bulimia, a uh, binge eating disorder, and then we'll, we'll start the, the DVD if we've got time. What time should this session finish? Uh, That's fine. So we'll stop at 12, and we'll have questions, I think. Binge eating is a, an odd thing, because for some people, a binge is three biscuits. For other people, it's three packets. Um, people really s- experience this terrible loss of control. They've tried to usually restrict their eating during the, 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 the week and maybe they've done quite well with a couple of days and they've eaten very little. Uh, it's terribly worrying that, that children are skipping at least one, if not two meals a day now. Terribly worrying. Um, so we do a lot of work with schools, So you can imagine, my teaching hat on, um, trying to get uh, teachers to insist, um, especially sports schools and dancing schools and all these sort of things, you know, to insist that really uh, good nutrition and a good start and lunch. Uh, and it's my one of my bugbears that, as a teacher that lunches aren't monitored anymore. Don't have my Mrs. Plumstead shouting at me from the gallery, I can see you, Gilbert, you know, as I left my sprouts or whatever it was. That doesn't happen, does it, anymore? Some teachers sign, you know, into the dining room, their pupils in and out, Uh, Dinner ladies don't waft around and report back to teachers that somebody is repeatedly, you know, not having a lunch or even going into lunch, and that's something that's got to change, I think. Um, So this horrible binging um, comes because people are hungry, and, you know, their resolve breaks down, and then they tend to binge on all the things that they miss and often very high sugary foods because that gives you a kick, um, but unfortunately obviously brings you down to a low. So we always try and say, you know, Really good, uh, wholesome... Uh, carbohydrates and slow-release carbohydrates um, is really good. So for someone who's suffering from binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, actually, although it sounds very simple, getting them back into a good pattern of eating. We've got nutritional guide, um, advisors at ABC who try and help people and support them as well. It's not, easy, you know, it's not the case of giving them a diet sheet and saying, go a- away and do this, if only. You know, I'm, I can't tell you how many diet sheets I've been given for my daughter. You know, this, She's anorexic, but this is what she should eat, so go away and do that and everything will be fine well if she could do that and if we could support that then we wouldn't have gotten this state in the first place so um, obviously uh, people with binge eating disorder will be overweight and we all know the health problems associated with obesity Binge eating disorder comes under EDNOS, eating disorders not otherwise specified under the diagnostic criteria, which is such a shame because I'm sure, uh, Kate will agree with me, that within the obesity figures there will be a lot of people who have actually a psychological problem with food and with eating um, and who don't get the sort of, um, I don't know, the the deference they they deserve, you know. Um, And, of course, they don't... um, purge in anywhere at all they don't over exercise or take laxatives and they're not sick they don't do anything to try and bring back or you know compensate for the food that they've eaten and we do hear some bizarre circumstances of people who actually binge on food that is half cooked or half frozen or i know it's uh, uh, unbelievable really but that's not quite the norm that is a, is a bit bizarre So, um, maybe now I'll show you, um, if we can get it, I'm not very technically minded, we're going to try and go for the, uh aha, and to tell you what people say about um, having an eating disorder. This is about 10 minutes, I'll get out of the way, um, so that you can see some of the triggers for yourself.
1: Food, I think, went right back to my childhood. And the first time I think I went on a diet, I was about 10 or 11 years old. And um, to start with, I lost a bit of weight and I was a bit more of a sensible size. But then I just put it all back on again. And then another couple of years went and the same thing happened when I was about 12. And by the time I was 15, um, I decided this was it. I was going to lose weight and it was going to stay off and I was going to be slim and people would like me.
2: I started cutting out a bit of cake here, a bit of cake there and then suddenly from just that little diet
3: it snowballed and became the whole of my life. Um, I used to keep a diary and um, I was looking through it the other day and some of the things I wrote when I was 14 would really break your heart. You know the things like please will you help me to lose weight because I can't bear who I look like and just looking through that going flippin heck, <laughs> you know I was obsessed <laughs> about what I, like. I felt very out of control with my life, generally I didn't really know sort of where I was going, um, I struggled at school. Not necessarily academically, but just as a whole. Um, there were other problems in my family that I found difficult to cope with. And the eating was a way of being in control. I couldn't control all these other factors, but I could control what I ate. And that's, sort of as, that's how it started, really. Um, I definitely looked at the pictures in the magazines and thought, if I look like that, maybe I'll be happy.
4: Um, because of the sort of person I am, with a real sensitive side, um, any one comment, even if it was meant as a joke or I took it the wrong way, lives with me. I can still remember every single time in the past that someone called me that. Even now, like 10, 12 years later, I can still remember the individual times. I had... Um, a wonderful upbringing with two great loving parents, um, very very close family. No one, I was, no one would ever say anything bad. So it was the social aspect as opposed to the family, because I was very happy at home and happy with my family. It was just this real need to just conform and be not noticed, and just to be the same as everyone else and tiny and skinny and just a waif in the background, doing his own thing, rather than kind of a slightly tubby 15-year-old boy.
1: I'd say it was a whole combination of things. Um, one of them would certainly have been academic pressure. I was in quite, say, a um, good school, a grammar school, where there was a lot of pressure academically to achieve and be successful and get to university, a good university, and have a good career. So there was quite a lot of pressure, and I was always kind of average in the class, which was actually very good in terms of nationally, but I always saw myself as just average and compared myself a lot with my friends and never thinking I was good enough and always thinking I had to achieve and never living up to that achievement, so being quite perfectionist. Um, I think also there was aspects in my family where food featured quite a lot,
0: try and see. It worked perfectly well this morning when I tested it. That's typical, isn't it? Never mind. Um, while Kate fiddles, <laughs> um, I'd just like to just pick up then on some of the trigger sort of issues because um, eating disorders are, are a complex, as, as you know. Um, there are some predisposing factors at play. So there is a genetic combination, a g- genetic uh, predisposing so uh, studies on twins, for instance, will show that um, uh, you know family and personality does play a big part. So it's not unusual if there's someone in in the family, you know, a, a, an auntie or um, a granny who's had anxiety-related problems or an eating disorder. Um, so it can can sort of run in families. There isn't a gene, um, but there is, a, is this personality factor that leads people to um, to be more predisposed than others. Um, the, tr- the triggers, then, um, and then the risks, is what I was going to say on my slideshow, but we're back on. Oh, good. Um, well, have a <laughs> um, I'll carry on just with the trigger factors. The trigger factors that we're looking at and seeing from the horse's mouth, as it were, are, are things like a- academic pressure, bullying, um, you know, again, at a stage when we're looking at adolescence, and Kate will do more of this in her talk, when, you know, young people are very vulnerable because they are still developing and there's huge pressures on them, and there are more pressures. As a mum of teenagers, I mean, my oldest is 21 now, but I'm 19 and 16. You know, I I see the pressures on them. There's pressures to to conform, there's pressures to to, um, be liked. I mean, socially, obviously, being attractive to the opposite sex is a big deal for teenagers. There's work problems, as deadlines as parents the trigger factor is often parents splitting up on the helpline, parent helpline at ABC um, that is probably one of the biggest triggers um, that family break up and, and that's not to, to make parents who break up feel guilty Um, because there are equally lots of children whose parents break up who don't develop an eating disorder. And I'm very quick to point that out to parents because they feel very um, full of unnecessary guilt when um, a child, a loved child, um, develops an eating disorder. They don't need any more guilt. They need a lot of support um, and love, actually. And, And that is what eventually, hopefully, will be a huge factor in getting that child through to recovery. Um, I know that personally, so look out for trigger factors: bereavement, losing uh, losing a parent, <laughs> losing a grandparent, a really loved grandparent, moving moving home as a sort of bereavement. You know, move, being moved away from your friends and family um, that can trigger. Um, eating difficulties and and problems. As I say, it's the only way for some people to be able to show their distress is is through their food. And yes, of course, there are equally um, sexual abuse and physical abuse um, that that are triggers into it. But again, we have to be very careful, don't we, when we're ministering to people that we don't assume um, that their family is a bad family or a divorced family or um, an abusive family. Um, and we do, we do hear of people who are wounded um, because they, they've had um, you know, the, wrong, the wrong handling, shall we say. Let's go and let's resume.
1: And I think just I didn't have a lot of self-esteem or confidence Um, So there was those kind of issues as well. So I think it was a whole variety of factors that led me to becoming
2: eating disordered. It wasn't because of vanity or because, you know, I wanted to look like a model or, you know, people in the magazines. It was because I was really sensitive. I was was only 11 and um, I disliked school and bullying was a big issue and also exam pressure. Yeah I just felt quite alone and I, you can't really control anything around you at the time so I thought I'd control my food. My weight plummeted really quickly because I was 11 and you're meant to be growing at that age and you're meant to have a lot more calories than you do when you're an adult so the weight just came off really quickly and then the space of I think it was like 12 weeks I was in I was in hospital twice tube fed yeah. I was sent to a clinic for for four months when I was only 11 so at that time it was a big big shock mm. and I didn't expect that to it to go that far you know something that was you know just seen as a diet or something just to make me feel a bit happier went completely wrong and gripped
3: gripped me and changed my whole life my eating disorder was actually a culmination of a number of things to do with my self-image. I didn't like my hair, I didn't like my nails, I didn't like my GCSE grades, I didn't like you know, the fact that other people were prettier than me. There was loads of things going on, it wasn't just one particular thing. It felt like I was just rubbish, I couldn't do anything and I was ugly. and, and I used to keep a prayer diary and um, I was looking through it the other day and some of the things I wrote, when I was 14 it would really break your heart you know the things like God please will you help me to lose weight because I can't bear who I look like and um, can't bear what, what I you know see in the mirror and things like that.
0: Unfortunately I haven't got time to show you the second part of this which is about recovery um, just to explain really how um, hard I uh, don't think I'll do um, much of these Kate we'll just stick with where we are then. Um, I'll just leave the statistics up for you, but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about recovery, just to explain to you what a, a really hard, long, hard um, haul it is for people. Um, we are talking about years, really, rather than than months. And yes, of course, God can heal, and God can intervene and do huge, amazing things really quickly. He's a sovereign, um, but we tend to find that um, He, His way, and His perfect timing, is a bit more of a gentle journey. And that people do have to, you know, go sometimes through, right down to rock bottom before they start to rise again. So um, if I can just have a little look and see if I can find... Can you just um, go on to the next few slides for me? Sorry, I can't see without my glasses. Mm -hmm. Zip through them. I'm just looking through the last ones, really, what you can do. There's a lot of these. I use these elsewhere. No, keep going. Um, Obviously, prayer. (laughs) I didn't put that because it was so obvious, isn't it? I mean, things you can do um, to support somebody right at the beginning when you perhaps notice that they're losing weight. Um, the, The listening sympathetic ear and the prayer... Without even bothering to tell them, sometimes some people, don't, sometimes people don't want to be prayed for or made a big deal about it. But you can still do it. That's so lovely, isn't it? When I come off the helpline, you know, and I've spoken to somebody, and um, maybe they're not a Christian because we run the helplines for the general public. I can pray for them. It's just wonderful. It helps me as well, and I know that God is helping them. Um, trying to guide tactfully towards opening up, um, and to involve family where appropriate, and and professionals. It might be your church leader. Sadly, it might have to be social services. You know, we do have child protection um, in place for you know ch- children who who are at risk, and we also have a, a, an, a vulnerable adults um, you know policy for people who are at risk. So you might need to have a word with your church leader. You know, yeah. um, <clears throat> I can say that my older daughter um, was so supported by her youth leader. It was on the key people in her life actually she was yes she was going through all the medical um recovery and she'd been into an inpatient unit which is really hard you know to be plucked out of your family and out of your school and sent 200 miles away to be with strangers um, and to have therapy and uh, she described it as as food prison (laughs) You know, to have to eat a certain way to a certain restrictive um, weight-gaining diet, she found it really hard. And it was her youth leader who organized all the support from the youth cl- club and from church, the cards, the flowers, the phone calls, you're not forgotten, you know, we miss you, we're praying for you. Um, and just to be there on the other end of a phone to have a chat. She wasn't actually always talking about church or god or trying to to um, evangelize or to see it from a christian But it was just a human you know human kindness actually which was just so important um, remember privacy but not complete confidentiality you know some of these things you can't promise to keep confidential if someone's at risk you do have to break that confidentiality and to talk to your church leader or to consider involving parents. Parents sometimes are slow to notice. You know what it's like when you live with somebody day in, day out. You don't see the changes quite so quickly. You don't see somebody disguising their figure in a baggy tracksuit. Um, it's not parents' fault, but parents need to know because they're the ones usually on hand to be you know, feeding their child and taking them to doctor's appointments and hospitals and therapists when it, when it comes to it. So that you know, they're not all to be blamed. In fact on the whole, they're the best support network there is, so, you know, use them. Um, a patient's right to a say in their treatment, and this this actually is from, from 15 now, but 15-year-olds have Gillick competence, so they're allowed some say, and at 16, sadly, in my personal opinion, sadly, um, a patient has the right to refuse treatment for an eating disorder. Um, and And 17, well, obviously, 16- and 17-year-olds... So um, inpatient clinics are seeing a huge reduction in the numbers of 16- and 17-year-olds because this is an illness that grabs the mind and says, no, you don't want help, you don't need help. Stay with me. Stay with, my, stay with me. I'm the eating disorder, and I, I want you, and you're my friend, and I, we can cope together. So don't tell anybody, no, you don't want any treatment. And at 16 now, you're allowed to refuse legally, and it requires uh, sectioning to um, safeguard someone's life and health. Um, signpost towards trained counsellors you know we work very very strongly with the ACC who are over in the the, the warehouse which one are we in now, five, is this five and that's seven I've got it confused, seven and our stand is in number seven if you'd like to come over and get some information the ACC are are there as well so we do need trained professional specialised counsellors where possible they don't always exist in the region or the area that you need Um, and they're the people who are going to provide the talking therapy um, and get help to get somebody through but the network of social support and church is hugely important and i couldn't have done without my church absolutely not um Set boundaries to your care. You know, if you promise to be with somebody 24/7, actually, you can't, can you? And you will know that. I can see you <laughs> shaking your heads and you saying, "Yeah, absolutely." Um, so, d- because people are very needy, and um, if they don't feel, you know, if they feel they've got somebody in you, they might latch on to you, and and that burdens you, and it it, it promises them uh, something that's unattainable, actually. So it doesn't match their expectations, does it? So. Um, and, you know, we're here. We're here for you, ABC. We, we, we delight in helping uh, youth leaders and church leaders of any kind, or just anybody in the general public who just says, look, I'm worried about somebody in my church or my te- team. And should we just do the, what you shouldn't do before we stop for questions? Um, I suppose that's obviously my, my first heart. <laughs> Don't neglect the need for medical intervention. You wouldn't do any of these things, I'm sure, <laughs> to judge someone, criticise, or to, to talk about a case you've heard of somebody. Oh, yes. I can't tell you how many people they did say to me, Oh, yes, I knew somebody who had dyslexia once. It's, no, it's not dyslexia. It's anorexia, actually. And, um um, you know it, when you start talking about cases you have heard of what does it do to me it just makes me um, frightened worried um, that I've I've not been heard you know this is my story this is my 11 year old daughter um, this isn't actually the person you knew in your church group at your last church who um, sadly you know had an eating disorder but got such a grip that she you know she died or I don't really want to hear that it's not helpful so be careful um, you know, as Christians, often, uh, unfortunately, we make f- people feel they've failed because the inference is, and sometimes it is spoken, and I know you wouldn't do this at all, but, you know, to say to somebody, well, you know, how, how, is there some unconfessed sin in your life or in your family? Or, you know, are you praying? Are, are you really praying? I mean, we heard from Ali, didn't we, this morning, that sometimes in deep depression and deep trauma, you don't have time to pray, or, or you know, you're not reading your, your Bible, and you need somebody um, in your church, uh, my prayer partner was fantastic, she said, Jane, I don't know anything about eating disorders but I can see, you know, the terrible trauma that has affected you all and I love you all and I'm there for you and I will do anything, I, I will come to the hospital with you, I will stand by you, I will listen to you but I don't know anything about it um, and that alone I mean, that was a big deal that was fantastic, she was wonderful, wonderful Christian witness um, Treatment doesn't necessarily provide recovery. I think that's another big thing. So once somebody's gone off to inpatient care, we got a little bit of the oh, so that's all sorted now. That's all done and dusted, is it? She's having treatment. That's great. That's ever. Well, actually, as you saw, I think you saw my daughter um, in in the clip. But she, she, if we went on to the recovery side, she would be saying to you that actually it took her a long, long time to battle this and to feel that she was winning. Yes, she'd been refed to a normal weight again, which was the weight she started off at. Um, but for her mind to to actually catch up with being normal and not being anorexic took a lot longer. Um, and she talks about going to Soul Survivor and having um, the prayer there to really sort of make the difference and make her want to be free at last. But it doesn't come quickly, and I, so I suppose that's another thing to be aware of that, you know... Uh, It is going to be, often, a really long struggle for people to to come through, Um, and it needs all-round support. And yes, well, you wouldn't jump to conclusions about what might have caused it, but sadly people do. (laughs) Um, I had a lovely chap at at church who um, had a heart condition, and my daughter was in hospital, as you know, with a heart condition brought on by the anorexia. And so we got chatting, and I was supporting him, and he was supporting me, and he was asked to stand up at the front and say a little bit about his amazing recovery. And his surgery was very intricate and very difficult. And God moved mightily in his case, as God did, obviously, in ours too. So our church leaders wanted us occasionally to sort of stand up and give a progress report, you know. So he and I, we we felt we really understood each other. And right at the end, when uh, my daughter, my, my second daughter, was back from treatment... He turned to me and said, so he said, Jane, so what was, tell me, what was all that about then? Was that some silly girl thing? (laughs) So um, there we go. I hope at speed, I'm sorry it's been so short, we could have done a whole session on treatment, a whole session on recovery, a whole session on profiles, a whole session um, on um, adolescence, which Kate will cover later. But at least I hope um, I've given you a smattering <laughs> of what we do at ABC and what the problems are there out, out there for us as this is such a, a growing uh, issue and young ch- younger and younger children are being affected as well as older people. So we can stop for questions if there are any. Hello. Sorry, saw your hand first. <coughs> That's a very good question. Um, I'm just going to repeat the question. <laughs> I've done this before. <laughs> yeah, um, This l- lovely lady here was saying that the signs of anorexia are pretty obvious to see because it, you're seeing weight loss, um, but with bulimia nervosa, you're not uh, seeing any weight loss. So how do you, how do you actually see that? Um, it's difficult to see it. I had some signs to look out for, which we might just um, see if we can get back up. Can you do that? That'd be lovely. Um, normally, somebody um, will be disappearing. They'll be trying to avoid food quite often. So, if you've got church gatherings where, isn't it true that there's often so much food at church? Well, there isn't mine anyway. So, you might be seeing, seeing people avoiding that. Um, they'll be normal, maybe a little bit overweight. Um, they probably will um, disappear to the bathroom. That's a telltale sign, certainly for parents. Um, uh, chewing gum to hide maybe a sicky breath. Um, mustn't get too near to those. Um, also, I suppose the best way is, is if somebody tells you that they're, they're struggling with, with life. Um, and they might not tell you they're struggling with their eating, but they m- might tell you they're struggling with life, and then you might get them to open up a bit more, and then they might be telling you. Is there anything else that I've missed on... Oh, thanks. Uh, you, you won't look in their mouth and ask to see their teeth, <laughs> obviously. Um, a lot of throat infections. Yes, this is something that my uh, pharmacology students have picked up on. Um, As I said, I think it's really more a case that people need to bring that, you know, that their problem to you on that on bulimia. Another question? Did you have one? Sorry, then you did as well. easier um i have quite a few
2: young people in my life who are suffering with eating disorders and um, i don't know whether this is just in our county but those who've been through the system um, as it were have not only not been helped but actually had very negative experiences and things have become significantly worse for them i'm just wondering what we can do to um to signpost them into the right area, what we can help them with um, when the system's failing so badly.
0: Gosh, we could talk on that for hours, couldn't we? I mean, it's a sad fact that, you know, the mental health budget is ever-diminishing... Um, the problem is increasing and more and more, um, you know, providers are, are not providing. So uh, generic mental health units are where most adolescents will, will end up with an eating disorder, where uh, their medical needs are managed, either there or in a hospital nearby. Um, the dietary will be seen to, um, and the therapy. But, of course, those are for the extreme cases. And, you know, we've got a medical advisor at ABC who works in, uh, for the NHS in Birmingham, um, and he, his Young People's Unit is, is now only taking um, children with BMIs of 12 or 11 because they just haven't got room to take them at the usual sort of you know, 15, 14 BMI, which is in the severe range. So they're waiting in Birmingham until critical, which is absolutely terrible. So to answer your question, um, you know, people who are seriously, seriously ill do need to be um, an inpatient. So, I mean, what is it going to take for, for us, I suppose, to, um, to talk to the government and to get better provision? But equally, I mean, the therapeutic side can be done privately, um, you know, through a private counsellor. Uh, but that costs, doesn't it? You know, c- private counsellors cost 30, £35 pounds an hour and in, in more in London. And you're asking someone to do that once a week for, uh, you know, months, because 12 weeks isn't enough. You get free GP counselling for about 6 or 12 weeks, if you're lucky. Um, and there's often a waiting list. So it, it, is, a, it is a huge problem. Um, you know, and it, it breaks our heart. We hear people who whose you know, children have been to a, a unit here and a hospital there. And the NHS actually said to one parent last week, there's nothing more we can do for you. And effectively sent her daughter home to die. Um, so, you know, as a community, as a, as a body of the church, maybe there's something we can do. But... Um, Yes, of course, we can support people. but They do need medical care as well, just as you know, eating disorders are life-threatening. You wouldn't go through cancer without medical care, um, but you need God as well. Oh, yes, um, we do have a book. Which <laughs> I'm extremely bad at um, <laughs> plugging, especially as it's our book. Um, I, I have a book out actually this week, which I'm so bad at plugging that I didn't even bring with me, called... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, in, in, I have an excuse, but it's too long-winded, so I won't go into it. Um, It only arrived this week, and I didn't have time to pack it in because we we pre-sent our stuff. It's a mild, lame excuse. Anyway, my book is called The Parent's Guide to Eating Disorders, and it's a practical guide. Um, so it's about suspecting an eating disorder, discovering it, managing it, finding professional help, about recovery. Um, it's published by Lion Hudson, but they didn't want a, a Christian brief. They wanted it to be universal. I think, um, as Rob Parsons says, uh, hopefully you can see God's footprints on the pages. Um, but it is for everybody. So I think that will help you. And also Kate and I have First Steps Out of Eating Disorders, which came out last summer. So <laughs> it takes me a few months to get around to these things, obviously. And that's aimed at suffering. For themselves, um, helping to um, really isn't it, Kate, with the motivation for recovery. Really, what you know, what they should be looking at. What does your eating to sort of give you, but what does it also take away? So we're trying to guide people towards taking some steps for themselves, if they're strong enough to do so, physically and mentally. Um, so that help might help answer the question. There was another question here. How are your daughters now? Oh, bless you! That's really kind of you. Um, Well, the daughter that uh, was 11 at the time you saw in the in the DVD, uh, talking to you about what it was like being an 11 year old, and if you're very lucky, you can see her guinea pig running around in his run behind her head. Um, uh, So she was 11, and she's now 19, just going to art college next year, which is fantastic. She's um, they've never neither of my girls ever dropped an ounce of weight after they came back from their inpatient care. Um, thank the Lord, um, and uh, it was actually a new wine that uh, Harriet, my middle daughter, uh, said also. I just, I just want to be free. I don't want to be living on calories anymore, Mum. I want to be out on my bike with my friends. Um, and um, you know, the, the Lord was really good. It was soul survivor later, a few years later, that really sealed it. But it was quite interesting that um, my best friend and her godmother said, Jane, I just, yeah, I just know you, you need to get a new wine. Um, and that something significant is going to happen to her. And actually her youth group leader, who'd never met her, um, and Harriet looked perfectly normal weight by then, uh, said, I've just had this vision of you blowing out a chocolate cake, candles on a chocolate cake, and saying you're free. So, of course, I burst into tears when she told me. (laughs) Um, And my older daughter, you can see, um, manning the stand for me at the moment. She's now 21 Um, And, again, the real sort of hope of recovery, you know, tangible. I wheel her out on these events (laughs) um, because she's very good at speaking. She's an English undergraduate, and she's managed um, university life and looking after herself and eating well. Because once her mindset and everyone's mindset is towards recovery, then why would you risk ever going back and losing that life? I think that's what they would say. So thank you so much for that question. It's really kind of you. Is there anything else before we close? We've got uh, one more minute. A sim- just a simple question, really. You said um, you can't force... If people decide not to eat, you can't force them to eat. What can you do? Besides all the things you've talked about, I'm thinking food now. Um, are you thinking from a parent's um, angle? or from Because obviously if you're living alone, you're independent, then you, nobody can really force you to eat. You can have your parents um, still um, trying to support you from afar we 're always very conscious of parents whose children are adult children. You know We have a parent in her 80 s whose child is in their 40s she 's still a mum you 're still a mum, however old your child is. Uh, so we support them. What can you do um, well it 's a mixture really of uh, I think what doesn 't work is berating them with all the health risks and i think it 's the first thing that a mum tends to do. Um, there are, there, a certain firmness with kind of food has, has, to, has to be in there, although it's, again it 's very difficult. Um, You you obviously need to take um, advice from a medical expert. We try and help parents to get to see the doctor on their own, first of all, to have a chat about the approach the doctor would take. Um, if it's somebody who's frightened about going to see the doctor, because they usually are, because they fear, fear their eating disorder is going to be taken away from them or the doctor's going to order them into hospital straight away, um, perhaps you know going with them, making the appointment, going with them. Sometimes GPs in some areas still make home visits, which is absolutely fantastic. So regular medical monitoring is really important. Some dietary advice. Yes, the GP usually has a dietitian, which sometimes works, doesn't usually, because, as I said before, you tend to know what to eat. Obviously, cooking somebody's favourite foods is a, is a good early ploy, um, rather than you know, rather than just dishing up the normal stuff. You tend to, to go for that. But that's that's for younger children, really early, early, um, that early kind of intervention. Um, there's there's lots you can do, and obviously you know, keep keep praying and keep keep the dialogue open. I think It's really Um, important to find out what's actually at the bottom of it what's going on for that person if you can find about that early enough you can do something you know you can liaise with the school if they've got too much pressure on them or they're worried about their exams Uh, go and see the teacher find out what they're eating at lunchtime do it early um, rather than later um, and, and the motivational tips in this book you know are very good to have to be able to talk to the child as well maybe their grandparent or a godparent might be a better person to talk to than than the parents and that, that's not to me i'm not saying I- I- exclude parents but you know sometimes there's that special person in the family who can you know actually say to your to, to your son look you know you're not going to make the rugby team um, if this goes on, and sometimes you know you can turn things round early it 's true it does happen. My case is rather extreme <laughs> it doesn 't always go like that but it's it 's good to know that that does happen isn 't it?